Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant Number 40, yet we're about to hit the 30 mark as the countdown is well and truly on this preseason. Number 40, it's a name some of you might be looking going, why is he in the 50, let alone why is he the first forward? And at 40, Errol Goulden is who we're talking about today, the Sydney Swans forward eligible option. There is a lot to talk about with him joining me on this episode. It's been a minute, so we got him back. Kane, hello, mate. How are you? Very well, MJ. You always give me the ones that require a little bit more thought. Like I yes. sort of see it and I go, what has he done here? Like I know he's doing a lot of podcasts. I know he's busy. But you just make me think. You make me dive a little bit deeper. And, you know, I think that's the thing with the preseason, isn't it, yeah. MJ? It's easy to just write people off. No, not going to, not, not in my plans, not in my team. Um, but I think that's the good thing about the 50 most relevant is you do dive a bit deeper. We know it's still really early in the preseason. Absolutely. But, you know, it's never just, oh, these are the guys and we're bang on from January 1 about who's going to be in the top six or the top eight, whatever the line may be. There's always, multi, there's probably almost half of them, isn't there, MJ, each line that we go, geez, I didn't see him yeah. being that top six guy or that guy that's close enough to be a keeper at their price. And I think that's the camp that, Errol Goulden falls into. He's not priced at a top six level, as in he hasn't shown that he can do it. Now he's entering his third season, but he's shown a lot of things that as we project forward Mm. are really, really interesting. Yeah, very, very true. Look, just the 20 years of age, he's a Sydney Swans Academy prospect, does have mid-forward status for us. And one of the things that he's really got going for him is his fantasy ceiling for a guy that's played less than 50 games of AFL is incredible. He's got a higher ceiling than some of the guys that are still to be revealed through the 50 most relevant. His top score last year was his career high score against the GWS Giants in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. It was a 155. While in that same game, his season high score in Supercoach was a 131. However, his career high Supercoach score came in 2021. It was a 139 against the Brisbane Lions. That average that Kane's already spoken about is an 83 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. And it's why in those two formats, he's going to set you back just over 730,000 in AFL Fantasy and just a touch over 750,000 in DT. While in Supercoach, an average of 85.7 means he's going to be priced at a point of 472. Uh, One of my favorite things came to do is just around the back of the AFL draft is I love going through all the different clubs, social channels, and I love watching how clubs introduce players to their new teammates, this drop this crop of draftees. So sometimes it's one of the recruiters or the head coach. And this is this player. This is their skill set. This is their ability. This is what they're going to add to the team. And I remember watching one club uh, a couple of years ago, as they went through every single player, this one uh, line they, they used upon this one player. They said, after explaining how brilliant they are and the skills, he said, this person prioritizes others. And he just plays good footy. And they went down and told about the next player and then had this sentiment of he prioritizes others. 
and he's just really good at playing footy. And clearly this was this cultural drive that this club was trying to drive as a sentiment at the time of prioritising others and being really good at, at your craft of footy. When I think about those two sentiments of prioritising others and just being a really good footballer, one of the first that just comes to mind is Errol Goulden. Because even though he's only 20 years of age, whew, the Swans have got a special kid on their hands here. Yeah, he just slipped into the team. Well, obviously he came out with a bang, didn't he, MJ? When you think yep. about, you know, in our teams in 2021, if you didn't have him after round one that season, you quickly had to because opening your career with 108 and 139 DT and Supercoach. It's not bad. And then backing it up the next week with a 93 and 136, like, you just don't do that in your first season, let alone no. your first two games. Now, obviously, it was a bit of a roller coaster after that. Uh, but to cap off your first season, you know, with a 73 and a 76 average, um, that's a really, really high bar. And I think that's what was so impressive last year is that um, he built on that. Yeah. Now, there actually wasn't the same sort of consistency in terms of, um, you know, that ceiling. You know, he only mm. played the 17 games in 2021 as he missed a little bit of time. But, you know, he actually had three tons in 17 games and he had yeah. three tons last year. Now he had an additional ton in yeah. DT in the final, which was, which was really good to see. But um, that, that floor just lifted a little bit, didn't it? That mm. volatility of those lower scores, that was really the reason for his 10 point jump. Mm. It wasn't so much that the ceilings were huge. Now we had no. the big one in the big one fifty five. Now that clearly helps. Mm. Um, but other than that, it was just a one ten and a one Oh eight. So yeah, Clearly, the big score had a bit of a jump, but it was really just the consistency week to week. And I think that's what you love to see from a second-year player is they found ways to get more involved every week and keep that floor. While it still is, you know, lower if you want to be a top-end premium and there's some improvement there, there was a bit more consistency. And he still had that impact on his team. And I think that was super impressive that clearly already he's one of the players that just locked into that 22 everywhere absolutely we often talk about in the fantasy community about the third year breakout the fourth year establishment and the second year blues and that how rare it is for these young players to maintain high levels in their second season of fantasy scoring it's often the regression year but that's not the case as you've really well articulated around errol he increased his averages up to 19.5 possessions 4.5 marks 3.3 tackles and almost a goal a game that average that he's got in fantasy and dream teams of 83 that's got him still inside the top 15 forwards available to us that 155 that we've already alluded to just to help you understand how important that ceiling game is that included 33 touches, 12 marks, four tackles, and two goals. That's a beautifully well-rounded player that can score in every column. Last year, he also, in that format, had just the four additional scores, 19 to 99, and five more scores of 80-plus. Supercoach last year, the average of 85. It's got him ranked as the 20th best forward option available to us. But from his 22 games, six tons, three over 120, including a 131, and a 130. Now, again, we alluded to it at the top of this episode. MJ, the first forward you start with is a guy that's only averaging in the low 80s, who's in a team that's just come off a grand final performance that has a midfield unit of Rowbottom, Parker, Mills, Warner, who we've already revealed in the 50 most relevant. Are you telling me he's squeezing into the CBAs? They've got a forward line that's got Papley, Logan McDonald, Buddy Franklin, Heaney. 
Like these are stacked. Are you telling me he's going to get stuck in the forward line? Well, here are the two things I would probably say in and around that before we really dive in. Um, firstly, you're actually not, when you're selecting a player entering into a new season, you're not selecting them because of what they've done. You're letting what they've done inform your decision about what's to come to give you an educated um, perspective around that. And what you're seeing out of Errol Goulden, as Keynes mentioned around that trend at the start, where he broke out really as a cash cow from week one, all the way up. And then into the, you're seeing a trend of a guy growing game on game, season on season. And then the second thing is, well, we know we'll pick up DPP forwards in season. We don't know who, we don't know what, and we don't know what their scoring will be as well. So he's a top 20 forward in Supercoach and a top 15 forward in AFL Fantasy Dream Team already. To give it context, he's one kick, one mark away from going 90 across the formats. That's it. One kick, one mark, and he's not even averaging 20 possessions. He's not even averaging four marks. He's not even averaging four tackles. One kick, one mark, and you got yourself a 90. The the bar to be a premium forward this year, well, we've got some amazing top end. To hit the top 10 isn't as high as others think. Yeah, and it's a great point, MJ. Like looking at his stats like you read out before, what's, what's pretty remarkable is that the marks are exactly the same 2021 to 22. The mm. goals are exactly the same. The tackles was 0.4 up. So we're talking there, what, just under two points a week? Yeah. But what's so impressive is the disposals was up four. And looking at 2021, just 12% of his home and away games were 20 plus. That's two out of 17. Wow. 11 of his 22 home and away games were 20 plus in 2022. And as you mentioned, there's a 33 in there. There's a 27, a 26. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, you know, the other eight are just between 20 and 23. So that's what I find really, really interesting is, like you mentioned, one mark, one kick, and you're at a 90. Mm. And again, I think the knock for a lot of people is the forward line bar. You look at Dunkley, True. we think he's the type of guy that's, you know, number one pick in draft, could be the number one pick. We've said this for the last three years, could be the number one player average-wise in the game. Let alone in that Keneally, division, yeah. Yeah, Canelio, we know, with, with the right role, superstar, 110. Taranto, Taranto the same. 100 plus, Rosie, yeah. Rosie and Butters have shown extended periods of, of great scoring. Dylan Moore had that midfield role, showed that spike. You know, Darcy Cameron, another guy that when he had the role. Yeah, Heaney's a 100 that, guy in super coach, yeah. Yeah, and, but the funny thing is, MJ, for mine, Dunkley, Canelio and Taranto, if, hmm. if we've got the role that, we know is best for them, which is a center bounce player that's sure. you know fifty to sixty percent plus. I do think they're probably at a level that a safe um, three, yeah, yeah, that, that a Golden can't reach. Yep, but I think that's but I'm fair. not a hundred percent convinced that all of Rosie Butters, Dylan Moore, and Darcy Cameron are going to be that far ahead of him, if at all. Yeah, a lot of a lot of them have had you know injuries. A lot of them have had different reasons. We've got a bit of question marks, especially at this time of the preseason about the role in their team. Will Dylan Moore get those CBAs he got at the back end of the year? Will Rosie and Butters? Because we know that, you know, Ollie Wines wasn't at his best. We know there's Jason Horn Francis in the mix. So how do they manage that? And again, especially a guy like Rosie MJ, that if you did lose a forward, 
he's always that type of guy that we saw in his first season. He can go forward and give you five goals. So yeah, I don't think that there's a hundred percent lock of these CBAs and this role that guarantees that these guys are another these tier five above. are so much better. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the thing we always say is you don't have to be top six if you're close enough to the top six at your price. You know, a Will mm. Brody MJ last year, the price he got him. He was so close that it didn't really matter. matter. You'd save no. so much cash. You were, you were worrying about other things. So um, he's also a guy, MJ, that I think if he's got more than 2% ownership to start the season Ooh. across the formats, I'll be shocked because he just doesn't have the runs on the board. No. Well, again, you mention those names. People will be like, I'd rather Rosie. I'd rather Butters. I'd yeah. rather this. I'd rather that. And there's and, only and so many totally top you can get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. When you're picking your starting squad, you, you've really probably got – for a guy in, in Gordon's bracket, there's probably three spots. So he really is fighting with those, um, you know, seven guys we mentioned. Mm. And that's if you're going even more mid, you know, sort of forward heavy. Premium well, then wise. you've still got Huntington, you've got McLean in, in some yeah. formats, you've got Fife in some formats, Taron Thomas in some formats. Like it, it exactly gets right, hard to structure into him. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing that's going to be the knock on him is, is structurally there's... There's, you know, usually some some cows that pop up. Yes. I think there's some guys that Van Ruin, there's a few guys already that maybe have been waiting in the wings that are obviously basement price. We know there's always going to be those top-up players just before the season starts. Mm. We saw Nick Martin be a superstar in that regard. They usually get brought up with a purpose and avoid the fill. So I think structurally is probably the hard thing. Yeah. But, but if you are in the 90s as a forward, it is very rare that you're way away. And that's probably the other yeah. thing that we have to mention is additional DPPs. Now, we yeah. don't know who, who they can be. Clearly, if they're real top liners, if it's Smith, a Bailey Bond, Smith. Parker. A, a, yeah. Yeah, if, if they're going to be those guys, that's a bit of a detraction. And that is probably sure. another factor that people say, I want to go for the top. That's my vibe I'm getting. People want to go, I want to go two of Dunkley, Cogs, Taranto. Some people would go three. Mm. I think those guys are comfortably top six. And I'll just have a look and see that after that first sort of DPP additions, what's coming through? Am I going to get a Smith or a Bont who I really, really want? Mm. And if I've got a Gordon stuck in there, maybe that is capping my scoring. If he's a 90 and they're 110 points a week across that last 16 weeks, that is a sizable amount. That is. Uh, But again, would you be shocked if Errol Gordon averaged 24 disposals? That, that's the thing I think is really, really impressive is he has that skill set. Yeah. And there's not many guys that can play that role and score like that. That's what's so hard, I think, to judge him, MJ, is there's not many guys like him. We don't no. have, you know, with these guys, we can often say, well, if they're an inside midfielder with 60% CBAs and they play the way a Dunkley Cogs Taranto play, they'll get enough ball, they'll get enough totally. tackles. It's hard to go below, you know, a 95. But the way yeah. Gordon plays, it, it's not normal to have you know, 20 disposals and then four and a half marks, three tackles and a goal. Like that's a very unusual split. So he's sort of his own beast, which again, I think for a lot of people makes it hard because there's nothing to say he's like this person. I've also got to mention too, MJ, 10% CBAs last year. Yep. So you're talking about really two a game max in a high scoring game. A lot of the time it's one. Now, we don't know what happens with injuries. We don't know what happens with a lot of these things. But that's such a low number that any sort of spike is only going to be a positive on top of the natural progression that we think is going to take place. So 
Um, he's really fascinating, MJ. I think structurally and competition for me mm. is more what puts people off as opposed to what they think Gordon can be. I think sometimes oh, I think we say, cool. I don't trust this guy to get to the level. But I think in this case, we're saying super high bar with the players we've already got. At the very top, you agree, yeah. A little bit of doubt about who might come into that group as the season progresses because that's obviously a big factor that, you know, AFL fantasy coaches are a bit more used to. But I think DT and Supercoach, it was the first year having it last year and it was also a massive group, wasn't it? Like genuine heavies of the competition that we think about as midfielders coming into that forward line. So I think people are a little bit wary of just saying, I just want to keep a few spots open. 100%. In case a really big dog comes into that size again. that I need. So I think he's a fascinating one. I think he's got a spot in the side that he just makes his own. He's got a lot of freedom to go up and down the ground. He's got yeah. the work rate. He's got the elite kick. I yeah, think that's does. something we always love is that he's a guy you want to get the ball in his hands. Yeah. Um, and that tackling already impresses me. To be up around three, a lot of that's pressure inside 50 or you know, mm-hmm. coming up to a half forward stoppage. So that's not really, that's a high number to, to produce yeah. that across 22 games uh, is ultra impressive. And I just don't think we can project forward because we don't have anything to base it on. You know, we could usually say with a Heaney, well, Heaney and Green are sort of those guys that get 20 to 30% max CBA mm. their matchup nightmares in the forward line, but 90 is about the bar, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But Gordon, but Gordon's so different because he's not that stay-at-home forward. He's damaging no, he's in the forward line as a crummer, but he does get involved in the stoppages. He does work the wings and be Very a connector. Well. So uh, I'm really fascinated, MJ, that by the end of this next season, like, where is he at? Because mm. is he, he's got the potential in my eyes to be a forward premium in our sides mm. or at least a consideration for the next 10 years. Yeah, He's just got so many tools that you just think, like, why can't he average 25 touches, five marks, four tackles and a goal? And, and that's just, exactly right. It's And that would right obviously be 100. Capacity. Yeah. And, then and, and a low ownership guy. Remember, um, he's got that wing forward 50 role monopoly. They're just going to let him do that, mate. Flow up and down. Follow the football. Provide pressure where you are. Use that speed and elite skills to create options and opportunities for things. I think here's two important things before we, we wrap up the podcast around him and talk about draft is um, where does Goulden need to improve to get to the next tier? The ceiling is there. So certainly frequency of ceiling is going to help. But last year alone, he had three sub-60 scores in Supercoach and six sub-65 scores in Dream Team and Fantasy. So although getting an increased frequency of ceiling will absolutely help him, it's these games that haven't quite landed for him yet. And again, remember, under 50 games of AFL football in a very, very good team, it's these sub-65 scores turning into 70-75. That, let alone the kick and the mark, take him to the next level, which is probably not the top, top level of premium forwards. But in a starting squad, when you're looking for value, when you're looking for separation in your side, when you're looking for good players that have shown 130s, 150s, remember that start to the year that Goulden had in 2021, 108, 93, 98 in fantasy and dream team in his first three games of football, 139, 136, 74. He starts like that. Oh, you're away. And it's something Kane and I often talk about, you know, especially more relevant in 
um, more of the keeper league style of content. We often talk about good players that are fantasy scorers in good teams are often guys you'd much rather own. Just last year in his second season alone, in wins, he averaged 86.1 in Dream Team and Fantasy, while he averaged 74.7 in losses, separation of 11.4. Supercoach, he averaged 85.9 in wins and 69 in losses. It's a separation of 17 points per game. So if you think the Swans are going to be good again next year, you think the natural trend of growth for Goulden holds, you think a couple of possessions might snag his way, well, now Goulden is a viable starting squad option for you, let alone, as Kane said, <laughs> structurally people will struggle to find ways to fit him in. You've now got a guy that could go mid-90s, unique, DPP, and with ceiling. He won't be for everyone, but tick, tick, tick. Yeah, I think, MJ, what you're selling yourself if you if you do pick Goulden is that he can match Rosie, Butters, yeah. Dylan Moore, Darcy Cameron. He's a comparable slash cheaper price depending on the format. Yep. And it's a little bit of a point of difference. You're hoping yep. that maybe he's up up five or ten into that low to mid nineties. They're maybe down. And that's the guy that's almost your your take on unique to maybe someone who's, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent yeah. owned. Now again, yep. that's not for everyone, but you might be just someone who just believes in the kid. You might think like you said earlier, maybe he is the guy that has the ceiling. Maybe you see a matchup, you think, yep, this is one where he can really pop and you're away. Uh, but I think your goal at the least is he's close enough to the top six, yep. priced equal or below the guys he's competing with. Yep. And you, then you're in the mix. you just got a slightly different you know, matchup head-to-head each week. Yep. You know, you may be hoping that, you know, a Butters goes down or Rosie gets a different role, all these type of things that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's the sell. But again, I do think it's going to be a 2% or less ownership. Definitely not for everyone. No. But who knows, MJ, we might come to the preseason or come out of the preseason and hear that we want to give Errol 30 to 40% CBAs. Yeah. You know, we want to start phasing a Parker out a little bit. We want to have yeah. him because he is a guy that's damaging Ford. We know he Mills is. Is, is a Mr. Fix-It Anywhere we think we've got, you know, Warner and Robottom are probably staples, you'd say now. But yeah, you know, Tom Pap- Tom Papley's a guy, MJ, that as we know, he gets a lot of CBAs. Yeah, he you does. Know, usually that just trying to create a matchup in terms of, you know, starts in that CBA and tries to lose people going forward. But, you know, he got 31 across the season and there was games where he was into the 40s and 50s. So yeah. you, never, you never know. You never know. And I think if you're already at 10%, any any jump there is only going to be a good thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, where does he go on draft day? That's the big question. As we've said before, ranked by average heading into the year, F12 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, and F19 in Supercoach. Historically off average, that puts him probably as an F2. I don't see him someone jumping in an F1 spot for him, as much as I think he's quite a good footballer and and a very relevant pick, I'd be really surprised if someone's got him as their F1, unless they're going really heavy in another line and deciding to go against the grain where others are going heavy on forward premiums early. They're going to go counter culture. Probably if he's an F2, though, that probably puts him around the round six, five, six, seven mark, depending on the size of your league. Where are you happy to draft uh, Goulden on 
draft day, Kane? I'm happy to take him as an F1. I think the caveat with that is it's all about the round then, isn't it? What yeah. is that What is that round where you feel comfortable? Because um, you know, that, that group of seven that we've mentioned, I think would all go before him just yes, with the perceived upside that they possess. Yep. Uh, I think there's some really good defenders and rucks that you'd really, really like. Yep, agree. So for mine, he probably is almost, you know, a sixth to seventh rounder. You'd probably locking away, you know, a, a Ford, you know, you could easily lock away a top Ford before him and have him as an F2, but obviously you think he's, you know, in that top 10 range. Yep. But I think there's a lot of midfielders that you probably just want to lock away. Mm. I think if someone jumps ahead of you for Goulden, um, there's a few guys below that you just settle with. You, you won't know, be devastated guys... if you missed him, no. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think he is, when you look at the forwards, they're, they're pretty ugly. They're pretty ugly. So I think <laughs> yeah. you, do, you do want at least, at least one of those guys probably in the first, it might have to be six rounds. But I think if he's yeah. in your sixth or seventh round, um, you've got enough depth in other lines to be really comfortable. Um, yeah. And I think he's going to be, yeah, I think he's going to be probably in that, you know, seven to 12 type of range. Yeah, which is, I think it's about, it's about yeah, right. Could he, could, he, could he shock us and go up a bit more? Yeah, totally. I've probably got him penciled between, you know, 80, 86, 93 type of range, which is always going to have you close. Now, yep. there's some guys that really go nuts and come across from the midfield. Well, in a draft, you've, Maybe that's the luck you get. Maybe maybe a Bont does grab it and you've used, you know, a third round pick on Bont as yeah. a midfielder. Yeah. You know, it all depends. But I think I think you do want one of these forwards. You really don't probably want to not have you wouldn't want to let someone get a Dunkley and a Gould and I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on the team that is a bit late on forward. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the fifth round purely on the scarcity. Yes. Because MJ, when I look after yeah, honestly, after Dunkley, Cornelio, Taranto, Rosie, Butters, Dylan Moore, Cameron, and Goulden, in my eyes, it is guys like Heaney. You probably feel fine about in Supercoach, especially, but then, yeah. But then it's but then it's Isaac Smith, Langford, Gresham, you know, Zorko. There's a bit of risk. Like even Himmelberg's up there on average, mm. but you just don't know that role. So totally, I feel like he's a very safe guy. That yeah, I'd be very content in that sort of six to seven round range. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. Hey, mate, as always, appreciate work on this episode. No worries, MJ. Thank you. If you want to go and read the article, it is online now for you, coachespanel.tv. As long as you like, it's there. You can go and check it out, as well as all the other players we've revealed of the 50 so far, all of the 40s, you can go and check out at coachespanel.tv. And if you're loving these podcasts, make sure you followed, subscribed, and told your mates in your fantasy groups about these daily podcasts and articles that you're getting every single day throughout this preseason with the 50 most relevant. If you want to become a Patreon supporter, you can. All the links are at coachespanel.tv. You get exclusive content, additional rewards, and a bunch of other fun stuff lands your way. All the details at coachespanel.tv. So number 39 of the 50 most relevant lands tomorrow. Something happened last year that made this player incredibly relevant, like to the point of over 40 points per game differential. One thing took this guy to be relevant. The good news is I think it's going to hold in 2023. Who is he? I'll tell you tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant.